0: For nearly a century now, the Lifesaver candy has been one of the most popular choices in the candy aisle. Its unique shape, a circle with a hole in the middle, you know, a Lifesaver, was designed to help keep people from choking
1: on it, right? If you've ever been late to work and board an elevator only to frantically press the door close button and think to yourself, I wonder if this is actually doing anything, well, we have the answer for you.
0: It's just part of the experience sporting events, whether they be high school, college, or the pros. They all feature a mascot, a fun, costumed representation of the team's logo. But how did it start? And is one of the legends of the mascot world about to hang it up? All of that on this edition of Commute. Let's get it. So, Jay, we talk about our young children quite a lot on the show, and why wouldn't we? I mean, so much of our lives, and it's a good thing, is sharing about the ups and downs of modern day parenthood and how it's currently playing out for each of us in our own homes. And as I've found myself saying a lot lately, and I mean, I don't know who came up with the terrible twos, because it's definitely not the terrible twos, it's the terrible threes, man. Yeah, that that
1: is true. That's accurate. And I'm telling you, a (laughs)
0: three-year-old will wear you out. And because of this, I've been a little, uh, let's just say, more easily agitated than usual as of late. Like, I fancy myself a very calm person most of the time, but man, kids will just get you. So I tell you and our listeners all of this, because last weekend I was with my three-year-old son, and he somehow got his hands on a Lifesaver candy, you know, the little hard candy with the hole in the middle. So anyway, he was about to eat it when I stopped him, and I told him I was scared he'd choke, and that he wasn't allowed to eat those yet until he was, you know, just a little bit bigger. Well, an older gentleman near us and other parents, don't you just love the unsolicited advice from people like this? (laughs) Back in my day. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So an older gentleman, I'm being nice, close to us, said, "Ah, uh, oh, Dad, just let him eat it. Come on. What's the harm? Oh, to what which, a jerk. Exactly. To which I replied, and once again, I'm a little easier to agitate these days, Well, sir, you see, I would, except he'd choke and die. So think about that for a minute. And then we walked away. <laughs> <laughs> and so, anyways, and this is getting a little long, I'm sorry. But anyways, I later told my wife about the encounter, and she said, Well, actually, Dave, he wouldn't have choked. That's why they're called lifesavers. The hole in the middle keeps your air passage from being blocked. Now, my wife, as you know, is much more intelligent and better than I in all ways. She's obviously (laughs) correct, right? I mean, that's why they're called lifesavers.
1: Well, I guess we're about to find out.
0: (laughs) Well, actually, yes, we are. No, that's not why they're called lifesavers. Score one. For me. (laughs) In the early 1900s, Jay Clarence Crane, the son of a maple sugar business tycoon, decided to leave the sticky family business and start his own candy company. So in 1911, he opened the Queen Victoria Chocolate Company. Soon realizing that the summer heat of his location would melt his chocolates and cause, I don't know, a dip in his summer sales, he decided to explore creating a hard candy offering instead. And inspired by a pill-making machine he saw during a visit to a pharmacy in 1912, he went all in on trying his hand at flat, unmeltable mints. But the urban legend goes that Crane landed on the hole in the middle design as a result of his own child choking on a mint and tragically passing away. I don't know why I'm (laughs) laughing. It's not funny. The truth though, Jay, according to Mental Floss, is the whole design came from a desire to make his candy stick out, not from his child choking. The hole made his candy look different from every other mint on the market. And as an added bonus, it lent itself to a nice nautical theme marketing plan around the name Lifesaver. Now, on a sad note, Crane's son did sadly die in a strange way. It wasn't from choking, it was actually something kind of worse. He reportedly threw himself overboard during a voyage at sea in 1932, causing himself to drown. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that that is way worse, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Much worse. But drowning aside, Jay, it didn't take long for lifesavers to work their way into the hearts of consumers all over the world fruity flavors were introduced in 1935 and get this the original five lemon lime orange cherry and pineapple remained untouched for 70 years until 2003 when lemon and lime were replaced by raspberry and watermelon lifesavers also had a fan vote for a third change orange was replaced by blackberry but only for a hot minute Fans of the candy quickly revolted and demanded that orange be added back to the mix. And today, the expanded brand includes gummies, flavored drinks, and seasonal alternate flavor options. But hear me on this, Jay. The name is misleading when it comes to safety. You can still choke and die on them, so be careful. As for me and the state of my marriage, after
1: airing this segment, stay tuned. Yeah, I am concerned with how many times you've brought this up since you did all this research, and I'm, I'm concerned with the moment <laughs> that you revealed to your wife that you knew that all of this information—that it was probably—you probably just did that entire segment, but like just to her.
0: Well, here's what's great—I haven't revealed
1: it to her yet. She will find out in
0: real time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> when she listens to this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I do wish you would have known all this whenever the old man uh, from the story had uh, had told you. Like, oh, just let him have it. It's like you just crack your knuckles. <laughs> you're like, all right, here we go. <laughs> so Dave, both you and I went to the same university. And uh, I started there in the fall of 2007. And on this campus, there's a very, uh, like a, twin pair of very tall dormitories where you would stay if you were younger. So I was a freshman and I got put there and, uh, there are 15 floors up and I got put on the 15th floor. So, you know, they, if there was a fire drill at two in the morning, you're walking down all those stairs. Like it was, uh, Sounds fun. <laughs> it took a long time to get up and down the elevator. And, uh, you know, there was a very specific thing that I learned very early on, which is that if I was trying to get to class, there was a window that I needed to hit. And that was, Uh, if, if I didn't hit that window, I would be hit by the elevator problem. I would get the elevator on the 15th floor and if I was trying to get to class at like nine or something and I was leaving just like 10 minutes too late that every single floor on the way down, the door would open, people would get on. Next floor, the door would open, people would get on and it would just extend the amount of time like exponentially like it would i would be so late if this happened but one thing that always annoyed me when this would happen is that people would get on the elevator and they would just start smashing the door close button we're talking like over and over, like 30 times just like click 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 and in my head i'm sitting there thinking like first of all i, I don't think it's doing anything but even if it was i think you only need to push it once so it Won't shock you that I am that
0: guy. That's <laughs> not shocking I at am all. A, I am a door closed smasher. <laughs> so in your head, like, do you do you think it's doing anything? I think it depends on the elevator. I'll find out when you tell
1: me here in a second. But I think each <laughs> elevator is wired differently. Well. Dave, if you've ever thought to yourself while you were pressing that button so frantically that maybe just maybe it wasn't really doing anything, well, you're probably right. The door close button on most elevators is just a big fat lie. So I can see that you're kind of getting a little bit mad here. So let's dive in and let's try to figure out why these useless buttons even exist in the first place. So David, in 1990, an important piece of legislation that has shaped many aspects of life in the United States was passed called the Americans with Disabilities Act. This very detailed law laid out requirements for different levels of society to make accessibility better for Americans with disabilities. The passage of this act is why in public places you may see more wheelchair accessible spaces, for example, or Braille. Before the Americans with Disabilities Act, there were no formal requirements to accommodate someone with disabilities in a public space. The Americans with Disabilities Act aimed to change that. One provision in the law, though, Dave, read that an elevator door must remain fully open for at least three seconds to allow enough time for everyone to board, including someone with a disability. Now, the issue here is that elevators across the country already had functioning door close buttons that would seemingly violate this. Now, since the average lifespan of an elevator is about 30 years, and since the Americans with Disabilities Act has been around for about 30 years, it's safe to assume that at some point that elevator with the door close button that you're boarding was built before the passage of the act, and the elevator company who manufactured it came in and disabled it at some point. In fact, the New York Times reports that the vast majority of all door close buttons in America have been disabled. Now, Dave, there are exceptions. For example, New York City elevators are required by law to have working closed door buttons, and there are other places in the world that do not have similar specific laws. For example, if you're in the UK, according to the Telegraph, most closed door buttons are fully functional. Now, while you may be sitting there thinking, okay, so why propagate the myth? Because, Dave, this actually is much bigger than door close buttons. The same is true for buttons at crosswalks or thermostats in many office buildings. These tools don't actually serve a real function. But can they still have a benefit even if they don't do what they say they do? Well, some people think so. Perceived control is very important. Harvard psychologist Ellen J. Langer told the New York Times, it diminishes stress and promotes well-being. Dave, believing you have control over something, even if you don't, is a very powerful psychological behavior reinforcement. In an essay for The New Yorker, Nick Pomegarten argues that the buttons are actually designed to alleviate some of the anxiety that comes with stepping inside of an elevator, which is sort of a scary thing when you think about what you're actually doing. Elevator design is rooted in deception, Pomegarten says, to disguise not only the bare fact of the box hanging by ropes, but also the tethering of tenants to a system over which they have no command. So Dave, next time you're running late to work and you find yourself smashing that button to save some time, just remember, you're not really accomplishing anything, but you still may feel a little bit better regardless. I knew the crosswalks. I knew that was a scam. (laughs) And you know what? The other day, actually,
0: so I was at a crosswalk, did not push the button because obviously it doesn't matter. And a lady walks up and she said, hey, did you already push the button? Like, just be nice. Like, hey, I'll push it if you haven't. And I said, no, I haven't. But actually, we don't need to. Because those they're they're just kind of there. They're not even a real thing. And she said, "Oh no, no! If you don't push it, the walk light will never come on." And I said, "Well, I bet you if you don't push it, the <laughs> walk light will still come on." And she stopped talking to me and pushed
1: it. You could have just said yes, you know. Just, you could have avoided the whole But much like the man with the lifesaver, I wish you had heard all this information before that interaction. You could have given her a whole lecture on why it's it doesn't the, work.
0: It's the kids, man. It's, it's coming out now. Pushing the button on the elevator, though, is also kind of a, a little bit of a power play. So it's, uh, you know, like how I get up at Marvel movies we've talked about and just leave. It's kind of like <laughs> we lock eyes. You're coming to the elevator. I'm already on the elevator. And you see my hand pushing it. It's like, I'm not waiting on
1: you. Yeah, like you're you're no, definitely I'm not going like, to hold the door. Yet. Like I'm yeah. like yelling down the hall, like, hold it, hold it. And you're definitely just smashing the door close button as fast as and possible. And I go, huh? Like You act like you can
0: hear. <laughs> but you can see my hand. Like, oh,
1: he's pushing it. <laughs>
0: And Jay, finally, as we've discussed on the show, my day job is in marketing. And while, in my opinion, great marketing requires a lot of ingredients tossed into the mix, creativity and the ability to generate ideas has got to be near the top. But Jay, here's the thing about creativity and idea generation. A lot of things, like most things, have been done before. Like a saying in the marketing world is that great ideas are just better versions of someone else's good (laughs) ideas. and jay i tell you this because today we're going to talk about a guy who many think was the first to think of a great idea and everything that's come since has him to think jay in 1974 a radio station in san diego launched an animated tv commercial featuring a giant chicken as a radio mascot the commercial went over so well with viewers That they decided to create a cheap chicken costume, hire a college kid to wear it, and pay him to appear at events promoting the station. And with that simple act, Jay, my friend, the godfather of all mascots was born. Ted Gianulis was the college kid they hired that day. And while the costume has changed, the man has not. For the last 50 years, he's been the only person to be the San Diego Chicken. And Gianulis has made his alter ego a thing of legend. While not the official mascot of the Major League Baseball team, the San Diego Padres, he has become part of the family, if not part of every Major League Baseball team's family. He's appeared at one point in over 520 straight Padres games. And the chicken is credited with making mascots part of not only baseball, but all professional sports. Dubbed the most influential mascot in sports history by the New York Times, the chicken was also named to the list of the 100 most powerful people in sports in the 20th century by the Sporting (laughs) News. But Jay Giannullis' chicken didn't become legendary just because. His antics, comedic timing, and commitment to creating a fun atmosphere immediately captured the hearts of people all over San Diego and well beyond. He isn't just good at being an entertaining mascot, the San Diego Chicken's great. In fact, as of 2015, when Giannullis' age and health forced him to slow down on appearances just a bit, the San Diego Chicken is reported to have made over 5,100 appearances in over 900 facilities. Jay, that includes all 50 states, 8 different countries, and through more than 100 versions of the chicken soup. (laughs) And here's the craziest part to me, okay? According to reporting by The Athletic, and I looked this up, okay, so they seem to be right, outside of one picture that was published in a small-town newspaper years ago, the public has never seen his face. Seriously, (laughs) Google his name, you'll find nothing but pictures of the San Diego chicken, not the guy. It's
1: a man that can commit to the bit.
0: Wow, yes. (laughs) But as with everything, good things often must come to an end. And we may be coming up on the end of the San Diego chicken. Or at least the chicken with Gianulis under the mask. A recent hip surgery will have him sidelined until at least 2024. And according to The Athletic, it's making him consider turning the page finally after 50 years on the job. He loves it still. But after nearly half a century, Gianulis has found a growing peace with the idea of putting it away for good writes Zach Buchanan of The Athletic. Fifty years will mark a big, even number, a fitting time to go out. Maybe the character will continue beyond him, and maybe it won't. But Gianulis's days as the chicken are nearing a close. For a man who never met a bird pun he didn't love, it turns an old joke on its head. It's not, why did the chicken cross the road? but it's what happens when he reaches its end.
1: I don't know if I'm crazy about mascots uh, necessarily because it seems like in our world of social media today, a lot of mascots are just used to try to do the most ridiculous thing possible to try to like get engagement for their team on social media. So like, for example, the other night uh, I was watching the NBA playoffs and the did you see the Miami Heat mascot came out Conor and McGregor Conor McGregor, McGregor punched this person <laughs> and it <laughs> sent him to the hospital and it's like what are we doing here like wh- <laughs> like what's the, <laughs> what's the purpose of this like uh, if if aliens came and saw us doing this they'd be like this let's keep let's keep moving Well, well the San Diego
0: here. Chicken the San Diego Chicken so this guy he books all his own stuff cuz he's not any team's mascot so he's just doing appearances all over the place you know, booking himself to show up. And so he's not without controversy either. At one point, the radio station that started the whole thing sued him because they wanted the rights to the chicken suit and to the San Diego chicken name. And he showed up at court in the suit. <laughs> of so Talking about diff. commitment to the bid. <laughs> and that's it. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review Commute on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast network. We're on social. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can always say what up at our website, CommuteThePodcast.com. Music for Commute is provided by my main man, Jason Salmons For Jason, and I'm Dave Traub. We'll see you next week. How annoyed would you be if you are the judge? <laughs> be like, like, okay,
1: okay. Go, go. Like, all right. All right. I'm being serious. Take it off. Or you're going to jail. <laughs> He's just like, it'd just it'd be you, you in this agitated state as a judge. You wouldn't it, be able to really handle would, it, yeah. Especially if he started going like, you'd be like, I'm about to pluck your feathers, bub. <laughs> <laughs>